All right, today's episode of the A-Game podcast is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links, click on affiliates and go check out Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. QR product, amazing product. That site is growing every single day. It is a Navy SEAL-owned brand by William Brannon. Put in promo code A-Game to get 20% off any and all of your products that you purchase on there. Also, go to nicknicknick.com and you will be able to get our free ebook. What has changed because the pandemic for real estate and whatever investor needs to know in this market. It's a nice, quick, easy ebook read. You, you have to pay for it on, on uh, Amazon, but you can get it for free on our website. Uh, subscribe for our newsletter. We have deals and stuff coming up. But most importantly, go on there. And especially if you go on nicknicknick.com slash links, you can see all my social media, all the ways to get this podcast. Uh, and you can connect with us so we can figure out how to get you involved in some real estate, which is really the important thing. Let's figure out how we can do business together. Let's figure out how to get you some properties or some cash growing. And let's start to make things happen now. So it's 2021. We're in February now. Don't make this another year that you sit on the sidelines, whether you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, or figure out a way to partner up. We can make that happen on residential, commercial, cash flow, fix and flips. We can figure something out. Let's start that conversation and get things moving. Today's guest is Brennan Tolman. Um, so for some of you who are not aware with him, he, he's extremely impressive. This is going to be a guy that you really want to watch. He's going to be somebody who is a worldwide known entrepreneur in the next few 5, 10, 15 years. You're going to see that he's, he's so successful. He already has so much life experience. I'm blown away with the... Uh, the old soul he has on him at this age, the the lessons he's taken in, the self-awareness, things that most people his age don't have, most people my age don't have. Um, I was just really impressed with his maturity and his awareness and um, his mindset and everything he's done. And he's really taken over. He just goes after it and he figures things out and he learns from his lessons and he takes his beatings and everything that this show is about, this kid really, really just uh, empowers and, and represents. And I think it's awesome. So um, although he is a videographer and he's licensed a wedding company for wedding photography and wedding video videography, the business principles of this are absolutely amazing. So no matter if you're in real estate or in any other kind of business or looking to start a business or grow your own business or scale up or delegate out, this is absolutely an episode that you want to be listening to. We cover all discipline thing, all the different things, especially um, discipline and ownership. That's a big one. We talk about having the discipline to reinvest in yourself, reinvest in your business, hire mentors, learn from your mistakes. We talk about how nerds rule the world. Um, it's funny because they really do take over. And then when things become popular that guys were doing when it was not so popular, how do you now separate yourself from everybody else that seems like it's doing the same thing there? So we give some great tips on that and how to stand out. Um, we talk about doing things first, um, his YouTube channels, ways to start to grow on there, uh, ninja ways for him that he got his business off the ground utilizing his friend's parents. And something I think is super smart for anybody who's in their early 20s, even late high school, 18, 19. This is something you can start to do to really change the way that you're using social media to interact with adults and your friend's parents and things like that. I thought were really, really cool and very, very unique. We talk about niching yourself as the guy in whatever it is that you're doing, being known as that person so people come to you. We talk about the importance of inbound marketing, inbound leads, being able to close leads better, study your KPIs, how many leads does it take, how many how many leads does it take to, to close, what does that look like dollar-wise, what does that ad spend look like, how do you build that and scale that out dollar-wise and monetize that on social media the proper way without just blowing a bunch of money on things that you don't know are working. We talk about, again, um, social media business etiquette, things to do, things not to do, wearing too many hats as a business owner, 
things that you need to figure out on how to delegate out, how to feel like you still have the quality control by allowing people to do things as the business owner, but not losing sight of what your core values are and not losing the control of the company and the reputation that you have built. We talk about the difference between franchises and licensing. And we talk about documenting things and building up SOPs and training people on those so you can put better people in places. We talk about traveling the world and lessons learned about people, lessons learned about business, uh, misconceptions people have about the world. We talk about Facebook marketing, social media, Instagram, how to do it the freeway, how to do it the paid way. Um, and a lot of other just value bombs and golden nuggets in there. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. You can find him in the show notes, all the ways to follow him and Tom Media, his media company, as well as his YouTube shows. He has two. And uh, hopefully you guys get a lot out of this podcast. Don't forget to write a review. I haven't been saying that in a while, but please go on Google, type in the A-Game Podcast, iTunes, link into the podcast, scroll to the bottom, give it five stars, write a review. Really goes a long way. And let's get you doing some deals. <laughs> Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is an entrepreneur named Brennan Tolman. He's a videographer. He is the host of the Hobo Entrepreneur YouTube channel. Uh, he's the owner and founder of Tolman Media and an international licensing specialist that he does things a little bit different, but the principles of it, I think, are really exciting. Um, obviously, can carry on to other products and is just a successful young entrepreneur that I've been trying to get on for a little bit now, and we finally touched base. So first and foremost, thank you very much for coming on, Mr. Brennan Tolman. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm super excited. This is great. And then this, so I, I heard you on the Bigger Podcast podcast first, which was cool. And then I uh, I did a, a little bit of a, a rabbit hole from there and listened to some other interviews and then looked up some of the stuff you were doing. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with you yet, can you give them just a quick 10,000 foot snapshot, a, a little bit of who you are? Absolutely. So um, the, the the short version, I'm sure we'll go into it, is I started as a wedding videographer, you know, where a dime a dozen, there's a lot of people. And um, I slowly kind of built my company to by utilizing Facebook ads, Instagram ads, whatnot, to where I could uh, I could make the sales of the wedding jobs and then farm them out to other contractors that I had trained. And then after we had kind of figured that out, we developed some softwares through all that, um, got to the point where we had a pretty solid business in Utah that was just you know generating leads and selling wedding packages and they would go fulfill and it was easy. And I could sit back and not have to do too much. And then um, I had a business partner come to me and say, hey man, you got to license this. Like, this is huge. And I, and I bet that you could explode all over the nation uh, if you essentially sold the license to your name, your images, your softwares, your processes, your secrets to other entrepreneurs, allow them to buy in and start their own Tolman Media, you know, Ohio or whatever business so that they can go and start using all of your stuff and your name to run their own business. And they'll pay you a royalty going forward. So it's similar to a franchise, but not completely, you know, we, we give them the reins and we have no control pretty much after they sign the agreement, you know, which is very unlike a franchise. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we, we began that journey last September is when he came to me and made that proposition. And um, by February, so about five months later, we had completely sold out of 
territories. So of us, we had no more except for Alaska. And, um, so we totally sold out. And then, you know, in the last year, even with COVID, it's been really awesome to see that the business is still doing well, you know, because even if I personally own a couple of the areas and States myself, but of course we've got other entrepreneurs running businesses. And so, yeah, it's been great. So now we hired a president to run Tolman media you know, cause I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 26 and, uh, you know, I really, and so he's, he's actually an adult. He knows what he's doing. And so he's running the business and uh, I've got no job basically now. And so, <laughs> so that, that, that's the snapshot. Nice, man. It's impressive, especially at your age. I think that that's incredible. And, uh, you know, having the, the self-awareness and the wherewithal to know, I'm not great at this. Let me get somebody else who is, sure. I think it's very smart instead of going and you know, destroying the business first and then going back and saying, I wish I would have had somebody in there. So that's really good stuff, you know? So obviously with cameras and stuff, technology has, has definitely changed a lot. Totally. I think I heard you say you were in like ninth grade when Facebook came out, but um, yep, yep. how has your industry changed with things now becoming smaller, affordable, you can travel with them. And, you know, the, literally back in the day, people couldn't go and do what you did because they couldn't afford it. They couldn't get sure. the equipment. Whereas now everybody thinks they're a professional photographer. So um, how has the technology changed the way you're doing the business in a pro and a con sort of way? Absolutely. Originally, my pain point, which is exactly what you just said, which is suddenly um, everybody could go buy a digital camera that looked really, really good. Um, they, you know, they were all able to become professional photographers and it was super easy. Like, like when I was, I mean, I said this in the bigger pockets, but I was shooting on tape in high school, you know, like, like, and I remember tape ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And then suddenly midway through my junior year, like Costco came out with this bundle where you could buy a digital SLR camera, which have those really nice focus and SLR cameras are basically photo cameras that could now do video with those big lenses. You, you could ditch those chunky camcorders, you know, where you do all the cheesy zooms and stuff. And it was all digital, which makes editing a lot easier, your workflow a lot easier, it looks better. And um, so I was kind of first into that wave, you know, my parents helped me buy a camera, I went and there was a, uh, I didn't have enough money to buy a camera, it was a 1000 bucks, and I was in high school. And so I went and filmed girls soccer for a whole year. And I, I literally sat on the sideline, and I filmed the entire game, and I would put together like, highlights from the game and it was really hard with the crap equipment and the big field and all the zooming but um i did it i earned 500 bucks my parents put the next 500 bucks you know and, and i was able to buy my camera um and i had to do the next year i did the same thing to get a laptop because then i realized i couldn't edit and so um that was kind of like my stars i had to like work really hard i got this stuff to start doing it and um you know and and, and at, before then man like they're like wedding videographers and photographers were like 50 year old guys with the flashes and the vests and like it was like totally different and so when instagram came out in uh same, around the same time you know ninth tenth grade for me around the same time as this digital revolution and smartphones all came out suddenly it was like everyone wanted to be a cool photographer and i had all like the hot girls from my high school being like hey can you come make a music video for me and i was like yeah, like it was super nerdy to make videos, you know, like, like video guys were nerds until Instagram. And I saw this like paradigm shift overnight. And so it was wild that suddenly like my skills were like valuable. I was making, I can't tell you how many black eyed peas music videos I made for these like cheerleaders at my school and stuff because, <laughs> you know, because they all, they all wanted to post on their Instagram and I didn't even have an Instagram until like a year ago, which is funny, even though I've been advertising on it for years, but man, it was huge. And so 
then it, it was, I, I kind of got caught in that perfect opportunity wave. You know, if you read like the book outliers, like it's, it's kind of like my story is like, I hit that wave. I had all this practice doing video and being a nerd until technology changed my life in the game. Like social media is what made it possible. Suddenly, you know, if you want to make people wanted wedding videos for Facebook, they don't want a big 30 minute long kissing VHS, which is what they had. Cause before I did this, I used to convert tapes and that was my, I hated converting the wedding tapes because it was literally just these cheesy slow-mo kissing VHSs of them like walking around kissing for 30 minutes. And so suddenly people wanted short, snappy, digital, beautiful videos to post on Instagram and Facebook. And so that's kind of when I got in because I had practice. I, I had hundreds of hours of practice shooting weird short films with my friends so that I was actually able to do that. I caught that first wave. I understood the industry. And then a couple of years later, suddenly like, Everybody was in the industry and I hated it at first because suddenly I couldn't get jobs anymore. Everyone used to reach out to me in high school saying, I can't find a wedding videographer that does what you do because they didn't exist. And three years later, it was like the kids from the football team from my high school who never touched the camera were suddenly like professional wedding videographers. And I was like, what? Like you didn't even touch a camera. Like I was the nerd. I was the original man. Like, and, and so it was hard to differentiate myself. So that's why I ended up going and learning, uh, paying somebody how to, uh, to learn how to run like Facebook and Instagram ads, because I was like, I need to find a way to differentiate myself from all of these, in my opinion, posers, right? These people who want to make a quick 500 bucks. Yeah, man, th there's so many good pieces in there. It definitely, I have to agree though, as I've gotten older and I've looked back, man, nerds rule the world at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> intelligence is such an amazing thing. And, and it's like, hey, they didn't they didn't have that label. They didn't put up with all the stuff you had to. They're trying to go and just capitalize on it now. But it is an interesting time in the world that everybody wants to be out there with these TikTok videos. And it is cool being able to, to navigate. But I did hear another story that I thought was really smart. You seem to very much be way ahead of where most people are for your age, as far as your maturity and, and with your eye on the prize for business. And I know on Facebook, the story I really thought was cool was you use your Facebook to friend all your friends' parents. Right. <laughs> that was a way that you were right. like, well, they're going to go and they're going to. So I want you to talk a little bit about that because I do see, even now, dude, like I just turned freaking 40. It sounds so weird. But the, <laughs> you know, even now, guys that I know in business, they don't know how to separate. They're like, well, I'm on my Facebook, I'm on my Instagram, and I still want to post all these, you know, videos of girls twerking or me doing dumb shit and drinking. And then, and I'm like, yeah, but you can't post that and then post your business stuff. Like you have to have the discipline in the middle, at least have a separate page, but they're not doing that. And, and I definitely see it, it changes me when I'm dealing with somebody professionally. And then I see them do like, just post some ridiculous stuff. And I'm like, that this isn't the place for that. You're, you're literally hurting your brand and your business. So for you to be able to have that discipline from a young age and not use it just to find girls and post videos of you doing stupid <laughs> stuff like jackass, right. what made you think of that? And, and tell a little bit about why you did that because I think that that's really smart. Yeah, no, for sure. So so I kind of realized um, when Facebook came out, like I, you know, like, like my parents have a lot of really good adult friends and we would always go and do like, a, you know, stuff with like their families. And I would, so I, I inevitably, like thanks to my parents had to become uh, good friends with adults, right? Able to talk to adults, able to have conversations with adults, which is like kind of a rare skill these days for millennials, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But um, so I, I learned that really young. You know, we, I had a lot of adults in my life. My dad's the youngest of 18 kids. And so, yeah. So it's like, like, like I had aunts and uncles and man, I had like, like, like I was all around adults all the time and it's awkward for kids to talk to adults. And 
And so I kind of figured that out. And then um, when I, when I very, I would use my Facebook to post my stupid short film. I made a ton of just like really dumb YouTube. It was called priest of pies as our channel. And that was my passion was just short films. And, and I would post those and, you know, my friends would see it and stuff. But then when I got hired for my very first wedding job, which I didn't even know what a wedding video was, it was because I had posted all of my work. And I realized at that point, like she reached out to me, he's my friend's mom. And she said, Hey, um, I see you do video. My daughter wants a video. I don't know how to find somebody that does video. Can you do my wedding? video?" I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure, I'll do it. And so I showed up and I shot it the best that I could. And I think I realized at that moment, I said, okay, I got hired because my Facebook essentially without me trying has been a portfolio, right? Like, like me sharing all my short films has people watch them. And I realized that like people notice what you do on social media. And like, like, for example, like one time I made a stupid film about Osama bin Laden and um, I put po- when I was like in eighth grade, you know, and I posted that and got like a lot of negative feedback. And my parents' friends were like, that was like inappropriate. Like you shouldn't do that. And there was another time when I made a music video where I was dressing up like a priest and I had a cross and I was doing some, you know, racy dance moves. And and same thing. I had some Catholic friends who were like, that's not okay. And so I realized really young from making a lot of mistakes and being an idiot. I don't know if it'd be maturity, but it was because I was immature. And I, because I had those parent friends who could step in and say, that's not okay. Like they would comment and that was humiliating. So delete the video, take it down. And then I realized like I needed to have a brand, I guess. And, you know, and this is of course like hindsight bias. Like I, I can talk about it like this now, but so at that point I started posting my portfolio realizing, um, you know, okay, if I post my video where people are going to see it, well, who's actually going to pay me? Who's actually going to like have the money to hire me for services? Well, their parents, the, the adults. And so then I just started like friending all my friends' parents. And whenever I would go over to like hang out with my friends, I would make it a point to like get to know them and like say hi to their parents, add them on Facebook, which was kind of weird at the time. And so then, but I knew my end game was if I post, you know, my portfolio, they are going to see it and hire me when they have a need. And it happened all the time. I got hired to shoot product photos for Amazon, which I've never done before. I got hired to shoot real estate videos, which I'd never done before because everybody just knew me as the media guy. And then like when I bought my drone, I would literally just go have fun. I would go to a lake. I would drone a bunch of stuff. I put it together with some music and I post it on Facebook. I didn't care about views or monetizing. Like I think a lot of people think that if they don't get a lot of views on YouTube or monetize, like it's a waste. What I did it for is everyone on Facebook was like, this guy's got a drone. He's got a drone and he's good at it. And so then suddenly when, you know, when all my realtor friends were like, Hey, why don't we drone? Why don't you come drone my house? I pay you 200 bucks. And like, before I knew it, like my drone was paid off because I had done all of these jobs. And so I think for me, like, it was like my Facebook became like, I never, ever posted my pricing. You know, you look at some of those, like, you know, multi-level marketing essential oils people. And they're like, Hey girl, come sign. I never did that. All I did was just say, I have the skill. I'm good at this thing. And, you know, like, like luckily video and photo is something that they can enjoy. And so I never posted links to my website and like 99% of the time people would reach out to me through, um, you know, Facebook messenger because they, they were like my family and friends. And that's, that's how, you know, I think like your first circle of customers have to kind of be your family and friends. Cause then I use that money to, you know, pay for ads and grow the business. But that was also one of the hardest things is that I was the business. Like my business was called Brennan Tolman media. 
And so I was, it was like me. And so when I started contracting out to other people and, you know, my buddy Tim would show up and they're like, where's Brennan? Who's Tim? You know? And so that was one of the hardest parts was trying to like, because I was the business, because everyone knew me as the media guy. Now suddenly I'm like passing on the torch and trying to move into more of a management role. And a lot of people didn't like that. And so you know, that, that was hard. That's, that's one of the reasons why we shortened it and changed it to Tolman Media. And um, I figured that would be a little bit less, you know, me. And um, so, yeah, that, 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 there's pros and cons to doing that. Like if you are the brand yourself and your only circle is Facebook, you know, like your own friends on Facebook, you can't explode very far. However, it's a really fantastic place to kind of like beta test. Uh, I think if people even like this or not, if that makes sense. Definitely, man. There's, there's so many different little rabbit holes will go off of all that. But uh, I, I think it's so smart. You know, anybody listening to this that's younger, that's getting into real estate, even just that of like, hey, maybe I'm in college. I'll put myself out there as the realtor guy because when all my friends graduate, they're going to get sick really quick of living with their parents. Yep. You know, they'll be like, oh, Brennan's the real estate guy. Next to you know, and it, it even works by accident with me. I can't tell you how many messages I get and like literally pictures of people at McDonald's like, dude, I just got a McRib. I'm like, I, I have become the McRib guy, but it, it happens. You know? so, I love it. The but McRib. you did touch also on uh, outsourcing and delegating, which I think is smart because the, it, it is weird and people don't understand. Even when I go to these real estate seminars, I remember the first year I kept going to all of them. And every time I showed up, I was like, but the guy's not here. And I was pissed, you know, and now I, I learned to expect it. Like, you know, they, they just can't be everywhere, but it's really no different than a general contractor. You know, you have right. the guy you talk to, he sends his crew in, his crew does the job under them and he does the quality control. So being that you actually care about your reputation and you're very good at what you do, how are you keeping the quality control to make sure that somebody using your name when you have all these different people out there are still representing you and, and holding the level that you need to keep that integrity? It's a really good question. Um, and, I, and I can tell from that question that you've been there, done that, because <laughs> you, you really only think about that question when you're in it. So um, for me, it all began the very first day. I remember I was like, OK, like I'm going to I'm going to take this Saturday off. I've got six contractors shooting weddings and I'm, my wife and I are going to go to the mall. It's going to be great. And so we went to the mall and at the mall, I get a phone call from a very angry bride saying he didn't show up. And that was horrible. Like I remember that moment, man. It was like, I ruined this person's wedding and God bless that person for, uh, I guess letting me learn from that experience. Right. Because now all the future brides never have to deal with it. Um, so I'm grateful for all the customers that I accidentally, you know, we made it right, but I, that I accidentally screwed over because everyone does. And, um, cause I learned a lot from them. And, and, and so I realized I needed to have a tighter quality control. So I created an online course. And it's called Wedding Mastery. And I rented a studio. And luckily, I'm a videographer. And so I was able to do all the technical stuff. But I rented a studio. Uh, my wife made me dress nice. And <laughs> I, I literally recorded. I mean, I prepared like 45 lessons on how to be Brennan Tolman shooting weddings. And how do I do it? I show up 10 minutes early. I always make contact with the parents. You know, like this, 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 this. Like I literally talked through everything. I had slideshows. Cause I knew like, it was, it was like writing a book. It was going to be a ton of work, but once it was done, once it was going to sit there and be there like forever. And so then, um, 
that was basically how I, I had like editing. I taught them how to edit the Tolman way, what colors to use. We had five presets is what they're called, which you can put on an image to make it look a certain way. You have to use one of these fives. Like literally, man, like I went through and I was very thorough and I did everything. I got it all edited. And then we started requiring before a contractor could ever take a job. They had to go through it all. They had to take a test at the end to verify they've done it. And then they were able to start taking jobs. And once we did that, everything changed. Like we stopped having issues. We, we I, I mean, I, I remember, man, like I, there was a really good videographer I hired and his wife. And he was like, hey, my wife could probably do photography because I would love to go shoot together with her. One do photo, one do video. And I said, sure. Like I didn't look at her quality. I didn't make her go through training. And so he was really good. And then she was not. And so it was horrible. It was my fault that she... Uh, like brides would be upset with her and chew her out because they were like, my photos suck. And she would call me crying. And I realized like my mistake was not making sure that she was ready. You know, like, like I was just like, oh, sweet. Like an extra photographer, I'm going to send a blonde. And so I realized like I had to fire her and it was horrible. I tried really hard to train her, but sometimes it just doesn't work. And after three or four weddings where she was devastated and I was devastated and the bride was devastated, I had to fire her and, and it was my fault. And I, and I tried to explain that to her. I said, this is my fault. Like I should have made sure that you were ready. You know, it's, it's not my fault that it's not your fault that I hired you when you weren't ready to be a Tolman photographer. And so after all those experiences and having to go through that, we created that course. And honestly, it has been phenomenal because like it was great for Utah. That's where I am. Right. Utah is like, we used it for Utah. We had no more quality issues in Utah, almost never. And then that actually became critical when we licensed because that was the same question. If, if you know, if the guy wanted to buy Ohio, he was like, well, how do I know that my contractors are going to be good? I was like, well, check this out. And I would open up the course and I would say, they have to go through this before they can ever shoot a job for you. And I've proven it in Utah, it works. And that was like the number one selling point because all of these people who are potentially going to buy this wedding business, they were concerned about ruining somebody's wedding. You know, they were... And, and that course was the number one thing that ended up, um, I guess, like alleviating that fear and it totally worked. And so I think building that online course was a game changer. That's awesome, man. How have you always had that accountability for holding yourself to that standard and taking the responsibility of this was my fault? Because a lot of people, even even now at my age, let alone your age, they yeah. battle that they get defensive. They don't take it in as like, this was my fault. I'm going to fix it and I'm going to learn from it and do the things you did. That's, that's again, great self-awareness. I, I, I think um, the, the, there's actually a story that um, when, when I was 16, I was driving this old Jeep and um, I was, I was kind of like driving really fast on a totally snowy day. I mean, it was like an, in, like a foot of snow everywhere. And I was driving way too fast and I was coming up on an intersection and I hit the brakes and I totally slid and I hit this lady in her car, an old lady who, and she was fine, but I hit her. And then she panicked, overcorrected, ran into two cars that were parked in front of a house that then hit the house and destroyed the house. Oh my God. So like four totaled cars and a house that was like destroyed. And I remember like, I got out of the car. I was totally in shock and the lady's all mad at me. And I called my dad who I have a fantastic relationship with and look up. I mean, this, he is the world to me, you know, both my parents are, but I look up to him. And I call him and I, and I just kept saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. The road, you know, like, like, like the road was too snowy. Like, it's not my fault. The weather was really bad. And, you know, like, cause I wanted to be off the hook. And, and I remember like, he showed up to the, to the scene of the crash 
and sat me down and he said, I'm not upset that you got in a crash. I'm upset that you didn't take accountability for it and you didn't own it. And he didn't say it, it wasn't mean. He just like said that to me, like, like, cause he, it was really sad for me to have my dad be upset with me. And that hit me so deep where I was like, that was kind of the moment for me where I said like, I need to take accountability for everything in my life. Like if I get in a fight with my wife, it is my fault. At some point I can trace it back to where I went wrong, that it's my fault. And I think like that was the great lesson, you know, for me that I learned from my dad in that moment, standing there in the snow, four totaled cars, cops are here. The guy's house is gone. He's crying about it. Like that was like my moment. And so I think that I'd carry that with me through business and stuff to be like, like, I know that, um, you know, the number one reason why anyone is not successful is because they will not take accountability for their own actions. That's it. That's it. It's very simple, right? It, It all comes back to that. And um, like like the other day, I saw an Instagram post, you know, I I don't follow super closely, but I guess one of Elon Musk's rockets crashed and um, he personally showed up on site and was there himself, you know, and took full accountability for the crash, even though there were probably thousands of people that worked on it. And so I think that like at the end of the day, like that is, that's it, you know, and and that's somebody that's really taught in the home. So if you're a parent and you're listening to this, like teach that, right? Teach like, like the words that stuck with me is I'm not upset about what you did. I'm upset that you didn't own it. And so I think that's, that's the number one thing that I was taught as a child that helped. That's outstanding, man. And again, you give yourself credit for listening and taking that in. And <laughs> it's funny the, way, the things that stick out to some people and the things that other people just right over their head and they don't care. But I agree with you a thousand percent, man. I think the world would be a better place if more people did hold themselves responsible and take personal accountability. So good on you and good on your dad. And, you know, as far as delegating stuff and not showing up there, it's, it's funny because we all start these businesses and then we have to step back a little bit and we freeze up about giving away the control. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, wasn't this the point? Wasn't this, I wanted to be the guy in the background and be the boss. I wasn't supposed to be going all these things, but when it actually happens, you have to make that decision. It's a weird it's, it's a weird kind of thing. Was it, was it hard for you? I'm sure it was uncomfortable, but how long did it take for you to actually get comfortable? Um, I'm sure the video helped, but to, to make that transition yeah. from the guy in front to the guy in the back. Yeah, no, totally. That I, I would say that like looking at my journey that of my life, that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Not, not giving up control. I don't really care. I'm, I'm not necessarily a control freak. Um, but I think um, learning Cause like all an entrepreneur does is they, you know, they get in the ship that they've just built and they set out to sea and they, they have to realize where every single hole is before they bring another person in that ship. And so their job is to simultaneously bail out, you know, the water from the holes and then try to plug them up all at the same time. And it's an absolute nightmare. And then once you've done the ship of being the videographer you bring it back to shore and you say, all right, videographers, I got it all fixed for you. Get in the ship, have a nice journey. And now I got to get in the manager ship. And so now I got to go figure out how to manage those guys in their ship. And there are holes everywhere. And you do it over and over again. Then you do it as a salesperson. Cause I was the sales guy, man. I was the one that was messaging the brides and I was the one that was closing the packages and getting the commission and giving that up was hard because I took a huge pay cut because they weren't as good as me. They'll never be as good as you. It's your business, right? You own it. You're going to do it all night, all day. So I think for me, like that was the hardest, most frustrating part was like not giving up when I had like, like a crazy bride calling me at, you know, 1130 PM 
screaming at me saying that she wanted to sue us because she was cold when she took her photos, even though she picked the middle of December and she picked the middle of a snowstorm. Somehow that's my fault. Right. And so in that situation, that's when I got my man. That's why I'm in my manager boat. Right. And, and I'm managing the contractors because I'm the one she has to talk to. So then I have to figure out I'm bailing out the water, which means I'm trying to calm this lady down. Do I tell her she's wrong and she's crazy and risk a bad review? How do I handle that? But then I also have to plug the hole, meaning I need to go amend my contract to make sure that never happens again. And so that's literally like what you have to do on every level in every business is I start as a videographer and I, you know, figured out where that like, you got to call them the short-term problems and then fix it. So it never happens again. And I, and I did it as a manager and then I did it as a salesperson. And then I did it as the owner of a company, you know? And so like now what, what, what do I actually have to do now that now I have a manager who manages everything. Now I have a salesperson who sells everything. Now I have contractors that do everything. So the business runs itself, but I still have problems. Like what happens if, you know, good old uncle Sam IRS sends me a letter saying I did my taxes wrong, which happened. Right. That's my job, not their job. So that once again, it's bailing it out and patching the hole. And I think that like, that's the simplest analogy that I can say it was so hard to go through every level and every different ship that's required for each position. But now, and a big part of that is documentation, right? When you patch the hole, it's not patched until you document what happened and how to prevent it from ever happening again on a simple Google doc. Because then when you hire a manager, all you got to do is say, here's the Google doc. There you go. Like it's basically a business journal is your SOP, right? Standard operating procedure. And like, I think that like, if somebody wants to build a business that's huge and successful, you could do it in anything. You could be a painter, you could be, you know, a drywaller, a video. It doesn't matter. Right. All you got to do is start in the ship and, you know, patch it and get the SOPs and then take the risk and jump into the next ship. And there's going to be a lot of holes in that ship and you just expect it. Right. But eventually you get to the point where you have no job and like, because you have patched every ship, you got a full fleet that can sail on its own with all the instructions and you can sit back and like collect the, the profits. So I think that was the hardest part was not necessarily giving up control, but figuring out um, like, like getting yelled at, right. By every, every, every person, like, like they're, there's a new person in every ship that yells at you and it always gets scarier. So when you're a videographer, you get yelled at by the bride. When you're the manager, you get yelled at by the mom, you know, and then when you're the owner of the company, you get yelled at by the government. And so it's like, it always goes up and you just like, if you're willing to do that, that's why you deserve to make the money you do once you finally get there, if that makes sense. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he has also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson.
it makes a ton of sense, man. And, you know, I keep hearing over and over again from successful people, you don't throw uh, solutions at a problem, you throw processes at them. So exactly doing that, that, putting those procedures in place, I, I think are outstanding. And, you know, uh, my, my buddy, Billy Alvaro, he's a big real estate guy. And he said it all the time, he's like, you know, the reason we make millions of dollars is because we signed up to deal with people's problems all day. Like, so when people are like, oh man, I got this one yelling, I got that one yelling, this is happening. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, but that's what you're paid for. You're paid to take the brunt of that, solve those problems that other people aren't willing to do. So, you know, it sounds like you're using them as good life lessons and obviously have now ex- expanded. So I definitely want to talk about how you took the business from where it is. And then I sure. believe you came up with an app. And But, but the, I think the first thing people need to understand is you're not a yeah. franchise. There's a difference between franchising and licensing. So right. you could talk about that and just talk about how you've grown your business using that platform. Yeah. So um, the app is <clears throat> was the last piece of, I guess, proprietary um, software that we processes that we needed in just the, the local, sorry, the local Utah branch. So we got to the point where like, my salesperson would sell a package to a Utah bride. And then my manager was like, well, who do I sign it to? Cause I got 30 contractors that all want it. And so how do you make it fair? If you overbook one person, you know, then they get greedy and cocky and they think that they're really good. And they like, they, they start demanding to get paid more. But if you, you know, and, and then you lose your lesser contractors who don't feel like you've been fair to them. And so we um, came up with a solution together as the owners of the company where we said, okay, we're going to develop an app called um, Dragon Sumo. And the only reason it's called that is because I bought the domain in high school. And um, so basically what Dragon Sumo does is when my salesperson sells a package, she's, you know, let's say it's for December 24th, nice Christmas Eve wedding. She sends it out on the app and um, saying, here's the wedding, here's the date, the location, the details, the maximum you can bid is X amount. And I, as the owner of the company, I understand my margins on every single package. So I tell them the max they can bid where I'm still going to be profitable. And then every single photographer in the company gets it. Well, in in, in the area gets it and they can submit a bid. So if one of them is like, I have no family, I really want to work on Christmas Eve because I got nothing else. They can submit it for like 200 bucks. Let's say the max bid is like 350. They can submit a $200 bid. But then let's say that somebody who's like the best videographer I've ever had submits a $300 bid. So it's more, you know, I'm going to have to pay them more. We developed a quality score that basically each videographer and photographer has a certain quality attached to them based on how they treat their clients, like whatever. And then it's, you know, it's an algorithm that combines their bid, combines our quality score and basically tells my manager who picks it up from the software who should get the job. So we always have the best quality, but we save the most money. And so now we're actually making more money per package and, and it's fair to them because they're only getting however much they have asked to get, you know, um, they literally pick their own price. It's a blind bid system where they, it's not like eBay where they can all see, it's like, it's a blind bid system. They like a government, they submit. And, um, and so basically um, we developed that app and it, you know, it only costs about three grand. We had it done in India. So there was a lot of issues with the app, but it got the job done, right? Entrepreneurship is all about, MVP, minimum viable product. And so um, that app is a huge piece of, of what we do. You know, essentially now it's like we post for jobs and say, we're looking for videographers. Um, if they're interested, we look at their portfolio. If they shot a- enough weddings and, they, and it's good, then we require them to go through my training program. And only once they've passed the test, do they get a link to sign up for the app 
And then once my manager has all their W-9 information, right, and all the contractor, like legal information she needs, she approves their username on the app and they start to get the job so they can bid. And so um, that's the process that we developed to handle that whole piece. It saves money, it helps contractors. And um, yeah, essentially the more, we're allowed to have as many contractors as we want because the more contractors you have, the more competitive the bid is. And, um, but it's still going to be, you're, you're rewarded for having more quality. So that's an app that we developed and we use it internally and it's awesome. And it's another reason why when we began the licensing piece, they were interested in us because we had proprietary, it's all about proprietary, right? If you want to license something, it's like, well, why can't I just go start it myself? Um, and, and we had this proprietary software that we had built and solutions. And so, um, basically what, what, what we did with the, now to transition to the licensing piece, so um, I was very skeptical, to be honest with you. I didn't know if, uh, I didn't know if I, I was like, who's going to want to buy this, right? Like, it, because for me, it had just been such a nightmare. You know, the last three or four years, I, I've been, I've been, you know, bailing out the bucket and plugging the holes. And, oh, it was just so, like, for me, I was like, this has been so hard. And, and I was, I was pretty confident that we had airtight, like, you know, standard operating procedures and um, that other, that others could just pick up and use, but I knew they weren't going to be perfect. And so, um Basically, I, I, I hunkered down with the you know owners of the business and I said, we need to go crazy and we need to just sit down for like 30 days together and just write out all of our operating procedures, every minutia, everything. And so we wrote down like everything. We recorded training videos and we built a portal. So another online class, but this online class was for the owner. So if somebody bought Tommy to Ohio, they would, they would watch this online class saying, congratulations, here's how to run your business. And then we had another portal for the salesperson. Hey, here's how to sell a wedding package. And then we had another portal for their manager. Hey, here's how to actually manage. Here's all the problems they're going to go through. Here's the wedding contract. So it was all about just procedures, procedures, processes, processes, and uh, spelling them out. And so we spent 30 days doing that. And then once we were confident that we could hand, we could send a link to somebody who bought an area and say, here you go. And they could run their own business with half a business brain then we began the process of um, selling licenses. And so what we did for that is I said, I don't know if this is going to work. And if you go buy a franchise, it's like, you're going to pay like 40, 50 grand for, ju for just the rights to use the name. And then you have to go pay however much it costs to actually set your business up. Right? So we had a really sweet deal because we have next to no operating costs, no overhead. We have zero, like everyone is commission-based. And so my manager does not get paid unless a package is booked. Same with everybody. So we don't have offices. Everything's done online. Uh, and so the only cost you have is the ads, but you know, as soon as you book your first job, like you, you know, you, you, get, you immediately get a return. And so what we said is we said, okay, we want to like, like, I'm sure that we could spend five years trying to like get 40, 50 grand out of people to, to purchase it. And then they could just run with it and pay us a royalty. But me and my business partner, Nick, who is my co-host on the Hobo Entrepreneur, we said, what if we developed a risk-free system for them to buy, to buy into Tolma Media, to buy a business? And so we said, okay, what does that look like? And so basically what we said is if somebody wanted to buy Ohio, we'd say, okay, um, Ohio, here's based on the population and the market, we think Ohio is worth $80,000, like the license itself. For us to give you the rights to use our photos and videos and systems in that particular territory, that's how much the Ohio business is worth. However, 
um, we don't want you to, you know, like it's going to take you forever to get 80 grand. So we're going to, if you pay us five grand as a down payment, you can start your business. And the, the final 75,000, we will just have you pay back with a percentage of your profits. And so 8% of every package you sell will go towards paying that off. What does that mean? If you're not successful, we don't ever make the money from selling a license. So we're on the hook to make sure that you as an owner of a territory are successful. And they loved that. I mean, you can imagine they were like five grand and I get a business, you know, sweet. And so they were just in love with that idea. And, and then we said, you know, listen, and you can walk away at any time from the license. And so if it's not working, I mean, the LLC is still yours. Like you're going to have to fulfill your weddings, but you can walk away and we're just going to resell that license to somebody else, you know? And so it's not like a bank loan. We're not going to come take your house. Like it's, it's in-house financing, put down 5,000 and then everything else is going to be paid if it's successful. And so that's like the sweetest business deal ever, you know, for like somebody who wants to buy a business. And so that's why we sold it so fast is we sold the first three or four and the first sale was like the bomb, but then we sold the first like three or four territories to people. And they were like, like we were all just kind of like sitting back, like, is it going to work? Is it going to work? Like hopefully all our videos were enough. And then like the very first guy he bought Boston and um, he booked $4,800 within the first week of like, like, like worth of weddings when one week within like five or six days of buying his business, he made 4,800 bucks. The DEA shut him down because they thought he was a drug dealer. And I, he was pissed, but we were laughing, dude. I was like, that's awesome. Like that's such a success that like within five days, like he's already profitable. And so then of course he would go tell, you know, he'd sit down to family dinner and tell his brother, and his brother would call us up and be like, I need one. And it, literally at that point, it was like a shark feeding frenzy bidding war. We're like, it was this January. It was in January, 2020. And like everyone's cousins and brothers and uncles were calling saying, I got five grand. I want to buy this business. Like my, my, my brother's making money, like please. And so at that point we literally sold out like, <coughs> excuse me, everything. And then, you know, around during all that, I hired the president and said, now, your job is to onboard them. And of course that, you know, you know, your job is to call them and do a zoom call and make sure they've gone through the training videos that we made and then do another one in a month to make sure that they're actually successful. And so then like, I just kind of stepped back and let him run it. And that has been phenomenal because, you know, for our president, we said, we're just going to pay you a percentage of the royalties. And so if you make, if you do a good job, you'll, you'll make bank, man. Like we're not going to put you on salary. Like we want to incentivize you and so then everything in our whole business is performance based. And so he, you know, he, he is basically like jumped right into gear and got each and every one of those areas just cranking and uh, making money. And so even like when COVID hit, that, that was the cool part is like, you know, like it, it hit like the West coast first, but then like the Midwest was like fine. And so like, we would see the numbers dip for like California and like all the West coast and the royalties, but the Midwest would surge. And so we were still fine. Like we still had money coming in. And even if we didn't, it doesn't matter because we don't have costs. Like we don't have, you know, fixed costs. And so then we would, you know, lay everyone's commission, right? And so it's not like we have salaries to pay. So then like we had a couple of weeks, like really in like April, you know, and like the domino effect and everything was, every, everything was shutting down. Like that sucked. And, but, but like after that, things steadily started to rise again. And like, it's been a, really consistent. And then we had people come to us and say, I want to buy Canada. 
And so then we sold the license to Canada because yeah. she was, she was a salesperson and she was like, I'm closing packages all day long. Like this is cake. Like, you know, Total Media has such a robust portfolio and the brides look at all the weddings they've shot and they're like, whoa, like you guys have so much experience and good reviews. So she negotiated and said, I want to buy Canada. And we had a lot of people who were managers or salespeople that said after like a month of operating the business, they were like, I, I need to buy a business. Yeah, I need one. And so it was just this feeding frenzy. And now it's sold out, you know? So now we're kind of in this different mode of how can we, how can we make it better, right? Right now we only offer photo video. So we just partnered with like a big DJ, um, a big DJ company in Kansas city. And so now how, you know, we're, we're going to use, start selling DJs and then we're going to become a one-stop shop. And so now we're kind of in this, like this different phase of the growth phase, you know? And so I act as more of like an advisor to the president of the company and I'll work on relationships with like the DJ guy and whatnot. Um, but it's pretty sweet, you know, like most of the time I'm like pursuing interests now. And so I'm like, you know, I've got a travel YouTube channel that I'm working on and um, you know, like I'm, I don't know, man, I, I, got, I got this name plaque from Etsy. I don't know if you can read it. It says Brennan Tolman, no job, <laughs> but you know, cause I don't have a job and I'm proud of that. You know, like, like I'm, my family's like, how much do you work? Like, what do you actually do? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know, like two hours, <laughs> three hours a week, maybe, you know, like we have like an operations call where I'm the advisor. So anyways, that's, that's the, that's the skinny right there. That's incredible, man. I, I love that. And, uh, you know, I know you're, you're a little pressed for time, but before I, I wrap it up, I definitely want to hear you were using uh, Facebook ads and Instagram advertising and stuff to, to build your brand and get some traffic. What are some, um, some tips you can give people that are looking to do that? Cause again, obviously in the real estate business, social media marketing has become a big thing. And and I've, I've heard you talk about this too. I've had the conversation that if you got in 10, 15 years ago, you have the following, you don't need it, but it's very hard to get into the YouTubes and the Instagrams and all these things yeah. now without paying to get there. And people spend a lot of money and they don't really see the results or they don't track the KPIs to really see what's working and what's not. And they don't make the adjustments, which I know are all topics in themselves, but what's uh, what's just a, a one or two things that you've learned from doing them the correct way or things not to do for social media marketing? Sure. One thing that I want to throw out there is um, like, you are correct when it comes to YouTube and Instagram and like organic following, it was like, you had to be in at the right time. But I, nothing that I've ever done has been built off of organic following ever. And so if you're like trying to build your business by hashtagging the right thing. And hopefully people are following you and using a follower unfollower and all the things that people try. Um, just be aware that that is, has had nothing to do with how I've done any of this. And, um, I figured out that if that that's the free way to do it. And anytime you do anything for free, it takes a lot longer and it goes a lot slower and it's not as effective as if you're willing to put a dollar behind it. And so for my advice is start right now. I mean, set a hundred dollars aside, $200 aside. It doesn't matter how much and say, I'm going to, I'm going to spend this on Facebook and I'm going to figure out how to um, like, like, I'm going to figure out my numbers. What do they even look like? And so like for us, the beauty of, and this is one of the things that our licensees loved is I was like, I know it costs me $26 to get a lead of somebody that is interested, like they, my ad shows up in their feed on Instagram, they click on it, they go to my website, they fill out the form and, and I get a text saying, hi, this person wants your services. And then I can start to sell to them 
like a magnet. They came to me. I'm not standing on the side of the road, you know, holding a sign. Like they came to me, inbound marketing. They wanted us. It's really easy to close that kind of a deal. Cost me 26 bucks to get somebody. I can get one in three of those to give me money to actually close a deal and say, cool deal done. So 77, 78 bucks is my cost per acquisition. That's it. Those are the two numbers I know. How much does it cost me to get somebody interested? How many of those am I going to close? And then the only only other thing that matters is what's your average order volume. So for us, it's like $1,500. And I said, $1,500 is what I'm going to make when I sell a photo video package. So it cost me $77 to make $1,500. And that's all you need to know. So then you ask yourself, can I spend $77 a day and get a sale a day? And if it works, then you say, can I spend $144 and can I do it again or whatever that is, $54, you know, and, and get two a day. Right. And so then you figure out like how high you can scale, you know, before you have like overload and fatigue, do I need to hire more salespeople? So that I think if you're a service-based business, whatever you are, I would set aside a hundred bucks and I would say, this is my burn it. It's gone. This is my $100. And I'm going to go on and I'm going to create, watch some YouTube videos. It teaches you how to actually do it in the ads manager on Facebook. And this is different from boosting a post, by the way. Boosting a post is totally ineffective. It's actually like building ads in, a, in the ads manager platform. So Google that. Um, but then literally just like pick some images from Google that represent your service. If you don't have any, type up an offer, get $500 off or whatever, and then run it. And you, you don't even need to have a website, man. Like Facebook will do it. So now it has a form in the ad itself if you want, you know? So you can literally like say, I want to go try doing, uh, you know, epoxy floors or drywall, $500 off. Of course, you don't say what the original price was, which was $500 more, um, you know, but, and then you literally just run the ads and you're like, oh, it cost me $3 to get somebody that was interested. And then you call them and they're done. And you call the next three and they're done. But then on the fourth one, they say, come to my house. I'll pay a thousand bucks. And suddenly you've spent 12 bucks to make a thousand dollars. And so that's what I would do is like, I would just set up, I would try it. I would learn, I would burn money. Before I did any of this stuff, I had a digital marketing agency called Jetpack Media. And it, it, you know, it it, it fizzled. Um, It was an amazing time, but you know, we just were all really busy. We were in college. And so Jetpack Media, what we did is we, we ran ads for other people, you know? And so we would go to like property management companies or whatever, solar companies, and we would create ads for them, run them, get them leads, and then their salesperson would make the sales. And so I had spent $10,000 of other people's money on ads before I ever spent my own because it was their budget, you know? So, hey, man, that's another thing, like mess around with it. And if you get good at it, Go to somebody you know that wants more clients and say, if you give me a hundred bucks a month to advertise for you, I'll do it for free. Just let me run your ads for you and track your numbers. And then like, if they have a decently successful business, a hundred dollars a month should be nothing. And they should say, sure, do it for me, try it out. And then you can literally just use their money to try to generate them leads. You know, if you don't have anything to sell, find somebody who does and pitch it to them, you know, or if you really are motivated, say, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for your first month. I will pay you $100 to make you money. How does that sound? And I've only had ever had success with services because it's a lead and you talk to them and you close deals, but there's so many service industries out there. Everything and anything is a service, you know? 
Um, products are a little harder from my experience just because the margins are thinner unless you have like a $2,000 product. Um, but it's harder to sell like an $8 pair of socks, you know, and get a good, get a good margin and a cost per lead. But like when you have a $1,500 product, it doesn't matter. Even if I have to spend $300 to make that sale, it still works. And so that, that would be my recommendation is like, just go start practicing. It's a skill that everybody should have and either burn your own money or find somebody else that's willing to let you practice. Dude, that's gold right there. I thought that that was outstanding. I love it. Um, and it's true, you know, you can do stuff for free, but I feel like, you know, you, you get what you pay for. It's going to take longer. It's if you, if you really want to build it fast and stuff like that with that advertising budget, one sale pays back your marketing for the next how many ever months. So yeah. it's, it's a good thing. Um, so last thing before I let you go, I know you've traveled pretty much all over the world at this point. Yeah. What's something you've learned about just life in general or people in general? Like what's a big lesson you've taken from all your travel? Uh, growing up, I was very like America, you know? And, and very like, it's the greatest country in the world. Every other country sucks. And, um, you know, I kind of learned like, so my wife is from Taiwan and, and I've been all over the place. And one thing that I've learned is like the only people who say that, that it's the greatest country in the world, any, any country is the greatest country in the world without having visited more than five countries <laughs> are, I have no idea what they're talking about. I love America. I think it's fantastic. And I'm very proud to be American, but I have learned that there is like beauty in other cultures, you know, and, and there are real problems in other cultures. Like I'm a libertarian, so I'm not political at all, but I'm like, I have learned that like, there are like, you know, the news is stupid because at the end of the day, like what matters is like human connection. And so like, like um, I've traveled all over the States, all over the world, but like, I, I think um, a, a real fast story that has just, it, it, it really impacted me. Um, and so when, when, my, when my wife and I travel, we don't do like theme parks unless it's Disney. We don't, we don't go do like touristy stuff. Like we try to just like live. Right. And so we'll just like go and like, like, you know, live in Louisiana for like two weeks and just like, see what it's like. Like, what do they eat? Talk to the people, learn about people from Louisiana. Like who do they vote for? What do they care about? Right. What are the issues in the town? Cause that's like fascinating to me. And like one time we were in Georgia and we were at a waffle house and we pulled up to waffle house and um, we were getting served by a really nice, you know, young African-American guy. And he was my age. And we ended up talking to him for a long time. And he basically was telling this, this was in the middle of all the COVID unemployment check crap. And he was telling me, he was like, dude, I have been working since I've been working for 23 hours straight. And I don't even know if that's legal, but I was like, what? And he basically said that all of his coworkers were intentionally not taking jobs because they wanted that, you know, they would get paid more on unemployment. Right. And so once again, personal accountability, but um, anyways, he, so he was, he was the one that was showing up and, and, I, and I said, well, why? Like what's motivating to you? And he said, I just got out of prison for four and a half years for a mistake that I made when I was young and stupid. And he said, I have been trying so hard to buy a car and I have been saving for six months to buy a car. And he pointed outside at this rust bucket, man, <laughs> And prob like, probably doesn't even go over 30. And he said, I am so proud that I have been taking everyone's shifts so that I can buy that car and now I can drive myself to work. And I'm very proud of that. And I gave him a huge tip. And then I went home and my wife and I just like wept because we were just like realizing like, okay, like this is like, I would have never known, you know, like I made so many mistakes that to be honest with you, I probably could have gone to prison for four years for, cause everyone does, you know? And I'm just like, but I didn't. <laughs> and, and my path was so different, you know? 
And so I just think like, for me, like I've learned, like there's really like, I don't think there's universal truths. I think the media likes to pretend that there are truths, you know, oh, Black Lives Matter is bad or good, depending on, depending on which news company you listen to. And I think at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter. There's not a truth. Like there's not a one or the other. It is like, everyone has their own experience with everything in the world. And I think like, I think like before forming an opinion on if, you know, is somebody wrong or right about this or that or whatever, like, I think like just actually like talking to people and and learning from people of different cultures who the Utah is like, dude, it's like 93% white people, man. I had one black kid at my school, you know, like, it was like, like, I don't know anything about other cultures. And this goes for like any country too, you know, like, like there, everybody has a culture and they believe what they believe for like a reason. And I think that we perceive it a certain way. And I see a lot of like hate these days of like, it doesn't matter if you're like a Republican Democrat, they all hate each other and it's ridiculous. And it's like, I think at the end of the day, like everyone's trying to solve the problems. Everyone is, everyone's trying to solve everything. They're just, they're just, they have a very different opinion based on DNA, cultural identity, based on their, you know, how they were raised. And so I think like, my, the one, the number one thing that I have learned is like, just to talk to people because like everybody has such fascinating experiences. There's no universal truth. And the people that preach on social media, their opinion, you know, whether it's Republican, Democrat, pro trump it doesn't really matter. Whatever. The moment you preach an opinion, you're losing 50% of your friends. I promise you 50% of your friends are gone that you, that you have never taken the time to actually like understand. And so I think like friendship and like loving each other and understanding each other should always come before an opinion. And I think people need to be very careful about generalizations and whatnot. Cause if you, if you're in a conversation and you have a very strong opinion about something that you really don't know that much about and you bring it up to somebody, you're going to lose that friend. And I think that having friends and being able to sit on a fence and play all the sides because, you know, and and not get strongly opinionated about all the things that everybody is, is like one of the greatest places to be in the world. And I think traveling the world helps you understand that you understand like, Oh, people from the UK, like I went to Switzerland one time and like literally dude, I was like in the hotel lobby and there was three different TVs with all showing different school shootings in America, you know? And they're looking at us like, what is wrong with you? Like we have more guns than you do. Like what, you know, and, and per capita. And so anyways, I, I think at the end of the day, like, like experiences like that make you realize like, Oh, it's like, like there's, there's no right answer. It's just about understanding. And then, you know what I mean? Like coming from a point of like, nothing will happen if, if you just throw an opinion out there that, because I promise you, if your opinion comes from either right or left, it's going to be rude. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. so like you can keep your opinions to yourself because it doesn't change anyone's minds. That's like what I've learned. I think traveling has helped me like understand and learn a little bit more that my opinions don't matter nearly as much as other people's experiences. You, sir, are wise beyond your years. Uh, <laughs> this is why I didn't want to do a half hour when we were like, I got like, to be more time. And I still only got through probably a half of what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> but uh, man, I appreciate you coming on. You obviously bring yeah. your A game and everything you do. It's been really fun listening to you talk. I'm excited to see where you are in five, 10, 15 years. I think it's going to be outstanding and everybody's going to know who you are in the very near future, if they don't already, how do people find you? Uh, yeah, you can, you can find me, uh, like I said, our YouTube channel, Tolman Travels. So it's called, or, uh, you can just email me if you want at Brennan at Tolmanmedia.com if you want to just reach out directly, but, or the Hobo Entrepreneur is kind of our more business, business, uh, uh YouTube channel. We bought an old limo at, in Las Vegas and we, we do limo talks with 
people. So we pick them up and it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's not really a podcast, but lots of good stuff. So any of those places. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Obviously, anybody listening, I'll plug all your stuff in the show notes so they can go and they can contact you. Um, any final thoughts before I let you go? Oh, I just appreciate it, man. I thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that like everybody has a, everybody has a chance, you know, an equal chance of success. I really do. I think everybody finding the one thing that like, <clears throat> for me, uh, sorry, I don't want to make too long, but like, I've always said that success is found on the crossroads. So like you're, everyone's really good at like one or two things and they're all different two things. Right. And so for me, it was like business and like film. And I was able to like find the crossroads and make wedding videography or specifically wedding videography, a business that nobody had really done before. And I think that like, if, you know, for all of you out there, like if you're, if you've got this really great business idea to be like a realtor or whatever, you need one more thing that, you know, that, that you're very good at to make it unique. And so like, like develop a second skill, bring two things. You're really good. If you're really funny or maybe you were a clown when you were in high school, like be a, the clown realtor. I'm not even joking. Like those are your two things that nobody else is doing. Right. Find the intersection, find something, bring a part of you into a part of something that actually makes money and you'll find a lot more success. So I love it, man. Thank you very much. That was gold. Uh, I very much enjoyed this episode. I very much enjoyed listening to you talk. I appreciate you being generous with your time. Yeah, I hope no you have a fantastic day, my friend, and I'll, uh, I'll shoot you over everything when it's done. Okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Brady Tolman, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. See ya. You're so what's it